Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Purpose Tune Podcast. The goal of my show is to create valuable content to broaden your knowledge, inspire you, and get you in the right mindset so that you can apply it in your own life to drive impact, generate meaning, and achieve your purpose. My guest in this episode is Alyssa Carpenter. Alyssa is a multi generational workplace expert, author of How to Listen and How to Be Heard Inclusive Conversations at Work, owner of Everything's Not Okay and That's Okay, and host of Humanize Your Workplace podcast. She provides training, consulting, and speaking services to organizations all over the world. Alyssa has a master's in social and comparative analysis in education from the University of Pittsburgh and is a Gallup certified strength coach. Her work helps to bridge communication gaps across multi-generations, job functions, geographies, and she has worked with organizations ranging from nonprofits to multi-billion dollar enterprises. Alyssa has delivered a TEDx talk on authentic workplace communication and has been featured in media outlets including Forbes, NPR, ABC, Fox, and CBS. Hey, Alyssa, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Can you hear me okay? Yes. Can you hear me okay? I can. (laughs) How are things at your, uh, where you are? Things are good. Um, Yeah, I'm outside of Philadelphia. The weather is awesome. I love the fall. (laughs) Probably one of my favorite, if not my favorite season. So it's going well. Oh, my goodness. I haven't been to Philadelphia, but it reminds me of Minnesota which is where I'm from. And I love the four seasons. Um, well, I, actually, that's semi-true, except winter. <laughs> yeah. I love the winter if I don't have to go anywhere. <laughs> if I can just stay home at all times, I'm fine um, with winter. But I'm not a great, I say, not the best driver in inclement weather. I get nervous on the, because here it'll be like a sheet of black ice. And then on top will be snow and ice, which makes me nervous. Yeah, I get that. I, um, yeah, I'm just like reflecting back on all those moments where I have to like drive during, you know, the winter and, and, and we have snow days. It's not fun. <laughs> um, so I guess, uh, yeah, so very happy that, uh, you know, you've got the chance to join us and um, would love to um, dig a little bit on your background. Could you share with my audience um, a bit about who you are? Sure. And thank you again for having me on. Um, I'm excited. I My background is in higher ed. So I worked in colleges and universities for about 13 years, more on the administration side. So helping really students, faculty, and staff, more students identifying their majors, their courses. And then I started working with the staff and faculty more on identifying strengths. So helping really create more strategic and effective teams. And I started a side business of coaching from my higher education positions. And then it really has transitioned into working with companies and organizations in a more broader sense. So when I started out, companies and organizations were reaching out to me to help them really figure out how to recruit, retain, and engage their millennial and Gen Z workforce. And 
now it's I work a lot more in the communication space in general of helping bridge and, and break down barriers that happen in workforces. And some of it's generations and other is job functions and geography and, and virtual spaces. So really doing a lot of training and, and speaking and program development in that space. Wow, that's incredible. Um, I love that you've taken this approach from, from a communications perspective. Um, and I think that communication is one of the most important element um, in the workplace um, and could help minimize uh, workplace issues. Um, so what was it about um, this approach that you've decided to take? Um, obviously, I'm in the personal development space, professional development space, and um, you know, I primarily have been in human resources, but um, why did you chose uh, uh, to go about it from the communications um, um, approach? I think everything really kind of comes down to communication. So how we really interact, we speak, we work with people who are different from us or even very similar to us. It's Communication is very broad, so it can be words we say, words we don't say, our expressions, written communication. Mm -hmm. I think once we kind of get the foundation of, and I, I really switch the phrase, so um, we say a lot kind of growing up, treat others the way that we want to be treated, but I see it more as treat others the way that they want to be treated. And I think once we can really get granular about it and really identify the best way to communicate with people, really getting to know people where they are, um, communication really has an impact and really most things like email is a one-way conversation unless the other person chooses to respond. So if we don't know how to interact with people and have these conversations, nothing would be accomplished, I think, just in general um, in our lives. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, tell me more about your uh, inclusion work. How is that tied to um, yeah, um, your projects um, or your work in communications? Yeah, so, and I'll, I'll take a step back and kind of define what I see as the difference really between diversity, inclusion, and belonging. So you can really kind of, I guess, get a better grasp of where I might be coming from. But mm -hmm. with diversity to me is kind of the who in the room. So the differences in people, and there are actually three types of diversity. So demographic is what you hear about the most. Um, in terms of race and gender and ethnicity. And then we have experiential diversity, which is just the different experiences we have throughout our lives. So even somebody who might be the same race or gender might not have grown up in the same space as you, or maybe you speak different languages in your home than someone else, or hobbies or kind of interest areas. We all have our unique experiences. And then the third piece is cognitive diversity. So that third kind of bucket is where neurodiversity falls and things like ADHD and dyslexia and, and a lot of other space is there. And it can be complicated. It can be really confusing. One, we kind of bucket people into one of those specific areas of diversity when we're really in all three, you know, all the experiences and in our interactions make us different um, and unique throughout our lives. But with when I see for the inclusion piece, so again, diversity is the who. So all of those pieces is the who. And inclusion is more of the what is bringing people's voices to the table and making really providing space um, for people to share their opinions, helping people feel heard and valued. So it's asking for people's input and then actually including what they're saying and the suggestions they have as you're making decisions moving forward. It's sponsorship, it's mentorship, 
And then we have that belonging space, which is more of an internal feeling of, I feel like I belong here. I feel valued. I feel heard. So with inclusion, I think a lot of organizations right now just stop at diversity of we need the numbers, we need diversity in all those three areas, but don't always create the spaces for people to feel heard and valued. And just because you have 50% Black employees doesn't mean that they're going to stay. And you might consistently have the same number, but it could be different people kind of as a revolving door. So I really think that you can have inclusion without diversity, but you can't have diversity I'm sorry, you can have diversity without inclusion, but you can't have inclusion without diversity. And to me, that's really the sweet spot of really where everything happens is creating these inclusive spaces and spaces where people feel like they belong. We can actually do something. We're more productive. We're more engaged. We want to stay. Um, it makes you stronger a leader as well, kind of having that skill set. Yeah, definitely. I know that McKinsey has published uh, multiple studies on why diversity and inclusion matters in the workplace and why it drives um, innovation, which leads to uh, profit and growth for companies. And even when companies know that and the data supports that, uh, it's still hard for companies to achieve their diversity goals. You know, you look at Facebook and Google, um, they're still struggling with their diversity numbers. And um, I know that here in the Bay Area, uh, there's a lot of companies that are putting uh, uh, a greater emphasis on uh, not just diversity, but inclusion and belonging. Can Mm -hmm. you share with us uh, some of your insights on uh, why it's the case for companies um, who are who who truly believe in in diversity and inclusion, but um, are still struggling to uh, meet their diversity goals and metrics. So I think um, a lot of the difficulty between kind of hiring for diverse people, specifically with the numbers, a lot of companies will say we want 30% male employees, 40% female employees, but people don't know why. Um, I think it can be really difficult and then it becomes, and you'll, you've seen probably a lot of stuff in the news lately where people are saying, oh, I can't find, you know, diverse talent or where, you know, where do we find people? And if we keep trying to go to the same talent pools and to keep trying to go to the same spaces, you're continuing to find um, non-diverse candidates who are not qualified for your position. So a lot of it comes down to creating a larger talent pipeline um, and really kind of expanding outside of the box to think about different recruitment strategies that you have. So numbers don't mean anything really, unless you know why or have the foundation of why diversity is important. And even going further than that, if there's, it's great that you're going to really hire more diverse employees, but if there's not a system in place where they feel included, they're going to leave. So it's creating that strong foundation first, understanding and navigating that, then looking as part of that strategy of your talent pipelines, where are you recruiting from? How can we expand on that? And getting a strong foundation of why um, and how having a diverse workforce can really benefit the organization. Wow, that's great. Um, and of course, there's also um, issues around budget too, right? I've definitely, so I've worked in the inclusion and diversity space for the past 10 years. And what I've seen consistently, the challenge is that there's not enough budget to um, help with diversity and inclusion uh, uh, work. Uh, for example, the teams that I've worked with in the past, um, 
are quite slim and um, the company says that they are for diversity and inclusion, but yet um, the budget allocation is quite small. And how do we get leaders to understand that if we truly want to create behavioral change and sustainability within the organization, that there has to be a, um, a larger budget uh, with a bigger team that can handle the manpower. Um, do you have any thoughts on that? I mean, budget, I think, is part of the problem, but there's so many things that go with it. Um, I'll take the question kind of from a few different angles. One is, I think, with a lack of budget, a lot of companies, and I'm for employee resource groups and, and using them as a resource, but a lot of companies will blame kind of lack of budget for not hiring people and then putting more work on people who are volunteering their time for employee resource groups. And Twitter recently put out a statement that they're now going to pay um, their volunteers who are in these groups because they're doing so many different things. So we can't ask people to do this other duties as assigned and have these huge tasks of really recreating different talent pipelines and reviewing all these policies, things that they, people aren't just, should not be volunteering their, you know, quote unquote, extra time to be able to do that. I think budget really is always a factor in terms of hiring qualified talent. So it's not just about paying diverse talent well, it's about paying everybody. Um, that's where the equity and, and where quality comes into play. If you want qualified people, you have to find the budget to be able to pay them diverse or otherwise. And if you don't, you know, those are the people that you're going to get stuck with and you really have no excuses. Um, but also thinking about how, what are you spending your money on? What are things that you thought were important in the past and maybe can shift the budget around? Sometimes it's not hiring more people. Sometimes it's really changing up the dynamics. Is there a restructure that could happen? Are people doing the tasks that really make sense for them? Are, you know, people doing projects and assignments that align with their strengths or is there, are there places that we can rework it? So I think, there's a lot that goes into the budget question, but you have to pay people. That's inexcusable to, to not pay people for their time, their work, and the qualifications for the roles. Yeah, that's such an important point. It's funny, actually, yesterday I was uh, at the gym with one of my buddies and we were working out and I asked him, uh, I mentioned that um, I was recently selected to serve on um, our company's uh, DEI council, and um, he asked me, uh, you know, whether um, that extra work if I'm compensated for that, and that really got me thinking. You know, that is a really good idea because we are volunteering our time, but not in a in a way of like volunteer, volunteer, as in like we're we're we're, we're we are dedicating a, a part of our time and energy. Um, aside from our day-to-day -day work, to commit to the, the important work that organizations need to do in order to move forward um, in light of the Black Lives Matter and, um, you know, uh, the numbers of, the number of diversity and inclusion uh, challenges that organizations are facing. And so I think that if companies really um, are for diversity, uh, you know, inclusion and equity and belonging that, um, you know, um, there should be some sort of um, budget allocation set aside for that. Um, um, and money is, I think it's a, a, a powerful tool and mm -hmm. it speaks, right? I mean, we've seen leaders that 
um, you know, have uh, done the lip servicing and, and people are tired of that. And so um, they want action and they want action now. And, and part of that commitment could be in the form of um, budget allocation. And so um, I'm glad that you have some perspective that you can share with us on, on that point. Um, so as you know, this, this podcast is about purpose, meaning, and um, you know, one of my goals of the show is to really get people to tap into their value systems and um, reflect on their, their life and try to achieve a meaningful um, uh, lifestyle. What's your definition of purpose and meaning? How has it served you? definition kind of evolved or my purpose really has evolved over time. Um, to me, I almost see it as this really Venn diagram in terms of what, you know, what are your gifts and strengths? What does the world need? And then sometimes it's really what are people willing to buy or purchase or pay for, um, and then kind of merge into the center. And I see that as my purpose in terms of business and in my professional life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I speak about, um, so you mentioned about passion. Um, how do people find their passion? I mean, it's such a big, big word. Um, do you have any um, insight or advice you can share? Yeah, it's funny. Growing up, I always thought it was, or even in my early 20s or even late 20s, early 30s, quite honestly, it was, I just thought it would happen, right? You just, you know, something comes down and this is your purpose, this is kind of your passion. But it really, to me, has been an evolution of trying things, seeing what I like, seeing what works, seeing what doesn't work, uh, getting new exposure to different things and experiences and conversations. And that's, I think, just evolved through different life experiences. I think it's hard to find something you're passionate about if you haven't tried things. You know, just because you don't like one thing doesn't mean you don't like something else. But I do think that knowing what you don't like sometimes can be just as important in the discovery process as opposed to knowing kind of what you like. I even, because there's so many situations where I remember, and this is years ago, planning my wedding and the flowers, and I didn't know what flowers I liked, but I could tell you which ones I didn't. And that kind of helped me narrow it down. Or I could tell you what careers that I wasn't interested in, and that helped me narrow down to figure out what I might be interested in or why don't I like those things. So I think it's about having conversations with people in formal interviews or otherwise, and just discovering new things and taking note of it. What do you like about, if you say you really like your job and you think you're passionate about graphic design, why? What is it about graphic design that you like? Is it your company and getting to work with the people that you have? Is it the flexibility to be more creative? Is it the opportunity to meet new clients and think outside the box? So going a little bit more granular in some of those bigger picture things, I think can help you find that purpose and that passion people long for. Mm-hmm. That's great. Um, so what inspires you to do this work of um, uh, launching your own business as well as um, being in the communications field and diversity inclusion work? It's funny because I, I never thought I would own my own business. So I worked in higher education for 13 plus years and I loved it. And I really thought that that would always be my space until I realized there are other things out there. I wanted to make kind of a, as ridiculous as it sounds, make a bigger difference, um, kind of reach out and, and meet new people. So I never saw where I am now, where I would necessarily be. And I very much enjoyed it. There's obviously so many ups and downs 
kind of about being an entrepreneur and what every day is really like. And it's, you know, obviously so different right now, but I really enjoy the flexibility to be able to work with different clients and before obviously travel, but getting to meet new different people virtually. But it's something that I never saw. And it's because I kind of stepped outside of my comfort zone to find something I was passionate about, to find something that I was so excited to wake up in the morning to do, to, you know, have conversations with people that I wouldn't have otherwise had. So it's definitely, I think, brought me a new experience, you know, as I'm, I'm kind of going through everything with, with owning a business. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great. I think more than ever because of uh, the evolution of technology, people are beginning to launch their own business because they're finding it uh, that it's actually easier than ever. Um, you know, we have the, 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 the resources and tools, uh, you know, at the rally, ready for us. And all we have to do is just uh, find the right uh, platform to, um, to launch a business. And so I'm very happy that you've uh, decided to take uh, the, you know, decided to have the courage to, to launch your own business and um, do what you love doing, which I think more people should do is follow their dreams and, um, you know, take uh, the st- uh, uh, steps to the unknown. Um, <laughs> yeah, and I, and I definitely have a huge caveat because there's so much information that's out there that's like, follow your purpose, follow your passion, start a business, you can leave your job, it'll be fine, you're going to make money. And it's not easy. You know, I think it's definitely, it is a great time to start a business and try something out on the side, see if you like it, tweak it. Um, Before I left my full-time job, I had a full-fledged business plan. I took financial planning classes. I, you know, made sure in terms of like, just talking with my husband, we're financially okay. Like if something would happen, I mean, I spent months, if not years kind of preparing and figuring out would this work? Um, so I don't, I think it's a great time to try something new on the side and see what you like. But I, I in my opinion, I don't recommend just jumping ship without a plan, um, especially with, you know, you have to be able to eat and live and health insurance. And there's so many components to it. Um, so I, everybody just thinking about their unique circumstances and how their purpose and passion might fit. And I also think you know, when I first started out, I thought that my job had to be everything and had to fulfill my purpose and had to fulfill my passion. I needed to find a job I loved um, so much. And I, I don't think your job needs to be all encompassing. I think you can do something that you like that pays the bills and you volunteer on the side and that's your passion. I think there are other ways um, to also bring out those other aspects for you. Like one friend isn't going to be everything to you at all times. So you can kind of diversify and figure out where can I get this passion? Where am I able to put that energy out there and and find something that I like to do? Right. Yeah. It's, I think you've brought up a really good point. Um, You know, if, for example, if someone is on the job and they're, they, they like what they're doing, but they're not completely 100% passion about it they can always find ways to fill in the gap so that they can achieve the kind of um, fulfilled life that they um, are seeking for and I think that um, you know part of the thing that's missing about people um, when it comes to identifying their purpose and um, and following their passion is that um, they often quit um, Mm -hmm. and to your point earlier, people have to try different things in order to really uh, understand what they like and what they don't like. 
um, and then you know finding ways to uh, hone that list down so that they can truly um, identify what that passion is and follow. Yeah. Um, I'm sure that you know you've probably uh, in your um, adult life at some point people have told you oh you must be you know uh, crazy to launch your own business and leave your job or um, you know there may be some naysayers. Um, how have you handled those types of situations and how can you get um, my audience inspired to follow their dreams? Yeah, I think, I mean, there are always going to be naysayers out there. And, and quite honestly, I think I'm more of a naysayer about myself than anybody can possibly be a naysayer, right? Um, but sometimes it fuels me if somebody says, I don't think you could do this. It's like, watch me try type of thing. Like, I think that to me is a kind of fuel for it. But I, I mean, there's always, you're always going to run into people or yourself that you might think is kind of a roadblock from you wanting to accomplish something. I mean, I think I'm also like this go big, go home person, which I have tried to tame over the years because just because you don't get to point Z doesn't mean point B or C isn't just as great. Um, so coming up with these smaller goals, if one day you really want to own a business or write a book or give a TED talk or whatever that dream is, start smaller. Maybe it's volunteering and giving a few presentations for local events and then put your speaker reel and then, you know, kind of keep working for it. You want to write a book, but you haven't written before starting a blog or reaching out to other people to see if you can write for their publications. So thinking about your big goal, but coming up with smaller tangible things that you can do right here, right now to still go with that passion as you're working towards that larger goal that you have. Right. Yeah, that's great. Sometimes all it takes is just baby steps and then, you know, eventually it'll get you to some places that you can imagine, right? <laughs> yes, exactly. And I think, and keep track of the progress. If anything, like I think a lot of weight loss things, it's like take a picture of your before and take a picture of your after. I think when you're in things day to day, sometimes you don't realize how far you've come. So uh, celebrating the accomplishments, writing them down. If you know you're, you really wanted to write for a few publications and you haven't been celebrating your successes along the way, you want to make sure that you're doing that. So keeping track of yourself getting closer to that goal in whatever way that could be. But if you don't, you really start to lose sight of that goal and that seems just completely unreachable or unattainable, but we really are doing things each and every day that are working towards our larger goals. It's just a matter of taking a step back and celebrating them. Yeah, definitely. I think celebration is such a crucial um, component to uh, the journey. I think that so often we're always on the go and focusing on the, the next big thing and what we need to do to accomplish that goal. And we forget to step back and reflect and really celebrate where we been in you know our accomplishments um even big and small and i think that maybe part of the reason why people are experiencing i don't know depression or anxiety is because when they don't reach a goal you know they see that you know the goal is unattainable it, it brings yes. down and and i think that to your point it's so crucial that people step back and really celebrate um, the journey. It's actually a really the, the process that's, I think, um, more beautiful than the actual outcome. Because if, let's say, I achieve, you know, my goal, there's nothing else to, to look forward to. <laughs> right. <laughs> and it's, I mean, it's tough. And even 
like I'll set aside time in my calendar of like reflect over the past month and see what you know what you've done that you're proud of and you know when I was working full-time for someone else I always and I I do this now but in a different way if somebody sends you a thank you email or you get a card or a client whatever the case is keeping a file whether it's physical or electronic of these accomplishments and things that you've done. So then you can look back if you're having those moments of like, I don't, am I supposed to be doing this? Does this, you know, make sense? And once you can keep track of all these things, if you're up for a performance review or annual review or promotion or something, you already have that stuff at the ready. You can update your resume as you go along because you can share quantifiably how you've made, you know, a difference. But even as a you know, business owner, you know, you're going to have those great days and you're going to have those crappy days and being able to look back and say like, I did this, or I really made a difference with this client has helped me really see the greater picture of what everything going on. Yeah. So you mentioned about uh, when, you know, when people have crappy days, how do you push through those difficult moments? It's so funny because sometimes it's not days, it's like every 15 minutes or every other day, you know, like I think just being an entrepreneur, there's something that's going to be thrown at you every moment of every day. And I mean, a lot of it, it's like my kids, like I will decide to leave my phone at home. I'll go for a run. We'll go to the park. Um, we'll take our dog to the dog park. I just need like those moments of Zen, if you will, just to kind of remove myself from what might be frustrating at the moment. And I'll even put I do, um, I used to take bar classes all the time. I do a lot of spinning at home on my spin bike and I just need that me time. You know, I think we think if we just put our head down, buckle down and, and keep going through those moments, we'll be okay. But you have to acknowledge it. You have to step away. Um, it could be for five minutes. It can be for an hour, you know, whatever you need. It, it really, it'll make you more productive really in the long run. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So that sort of ties into my next question, which is, um, what are some of the top uh, success habits that you have that you can share with us? So I do a lot of batching. So to me, that means putting like tasks together and we'll put off a period of time for me to do it. So like task to me would be sending um, proposals out or collecting payments or sending emails, I'll block a few hours off of my calendar, setting up my social media to do these like tasks at the same time. Um, multitasking is great, it's fine, but you're actually not more productive when you're multitasking. So when I'm in my inbox, I'm in my inbox and then I'll finish my emails and then I'll come back you know, a few hours later and, and do that kind of process again. So I'm trying to get out of the habit of you know checking it very often because it just leads to really lost time and you're essentially reading, I was reading emails and then marking it as unread and then reading them again to then respond to them. So I'll plan specific periods of time. I also try because I, I work from home anyway. Um, so pre-COVID I was working from home and doing traveling, but I try not to bring my computer and sit and watch TV and do it downstairs. It's, this is my workspace and this is where I can really get in that mindset. Cause once I and there's always a blur between personal and professional, but once I start doing work, it feels like I can do it at any hour of any day and I need to separate and remove my mind from it at some points. And that's helped me be more productive. Mm -hmm. What advice would you give on mindset? Obviously the pandemic has really put a dent into the economy and businesses have uh, you know, been negatively impacted. What do you, we, what kind of mindset should we have moving forward to get us through these challenging times? 
I think there's so many layers to that, obviously personal and professional, you know, seeing what's happening in those spaces. But there's a phrase that I've really gravitated to lately and it's the new next. So I'm not loving the new normal in terms of that phrase, but I think the new next um, is very helpful to me. As a business owner, I think about how I can be part of that new next. So looking at service offerings, conversations I've had with my clients, how can I pivot, tweak, you know, what needs to be changed um, to be able to still stay in the game and work kind of moving forward. Personally, I have, you know, you're going to have those good times and, and bad times. And, you know, we're kind of like, what's going to happen in the winter? What's going to happen in the second wave? And I saw, there was a meme the other week, which I thought was funny. It was just like, I miss these certain times. And it was just this aha moment of like, nothing is ever certain. We never know, you know, whatever is going to happen. So, you know, just realizing and recognizing that there's always going to be change. Change is inevitable. We can't, you know, you can control what you can control, but there's a lot we can't. And just taking the time to really for yourself, for your family, or, you know, whatever you need right now, I think that's really the most important thing to focus on. Yeah, I think having, that's one thing I like about yoga is that it teaches you to be mindful and um, really be in the present, the now, and not focus on the future or the past, because we don't know what we're going to, you know, go through in the next uh, day or hour or minutes. And um, it's so important to really recognize that we are now living, we're healthy, we're we're seeing where, you know, we have a, you know, a roof over our head, we have food on the table, we have, um, you know, friends and family members that are important to us that care for us and vice versa. And um, I think that, um, you know, so often people are so caught up on the, the day-to-day and busyness of, uh, of work and life that we often forget to just step back and just reflect. So I think that to your point, mm-hmm. it's such an important um uh, component to uh, to a living a fulfilling uh, life is by uh, appreciating the, the things we have uh, right now. Yeah, and I think it's so easy to forget that, and it's just those little things that are actually kind of more important than they were before. I was just even reflecting on events or things that I was supposed to do. You know, if we weren't quarantined and and realizing what was I disappointed that didn't happen? What wasn't I disappointed that didn't happen? And, you know, kind of making my choices differently and kind of doing things differently moving forward. So I think it's a good time and continues to be a good time to always reflect and, and see how you are. But I do think it's important to feel those emotions, not kind of box them in, figure out what your stress relief is, build those connections with people. So if you're kind of home by yourself and thinking, you know, getting on Zoom calls, um, you know, we all crave interaction with people to a certain extent. So really meeting yourself where, where you are, I think is, is important right now. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Thank you for sharing that. Well, um, it's such a pleasure to have you on this show. Uh, you have done amazing work with your uh, company. And um, where can people find you in your, your work? Sure. Um, and I am launching a new program that starts on December 1st and is available to register now. And that they can find on my website the programs um, DEI Intention to Action How to Be a Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Changemaker. So it's an online course paired with a mastermind group as well to talk through these issues. And that can be found at notokaythatsokaycoach.com. 
And my book, How to Listen and How to Be Heard, Inclusive Conversations at Work, um, is available both now in the audio form and paperback and the ebook version on Amazon and Barnes and Noble and wherever books are sold. <laughs> I love that. I love that you're so active and involved in your work and there's so much going on with your world and and you sound exciting and you're essentially a superwoman. That's <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> and, and on top of that, you have a, a, a kid, right? <laughs> yeah, my, my two, I have a seven and 10 year old. So it's, it's definitely uh, fun. Um, I will say I, like one of my favorite parts of owning a business and just doing all these, like I feel very fortunate and humbled to be able to do all these incredible things is showing and sharing my kids to my kids that these things can happen, you know, taking them to Barnes and Noble and seeing the book. It was just a cool, cool thing um, to be able to share with them. And I hope that it kind of inspires them to think, you know, that you can, you can do different things, right? Your job might not be out there for you right now. And, and even like, you know, college students, I feel like the world is constantly evolving and changing. So just trying to continue to inspire and put positivity out there is, is always a goal of mine. Yeah, definitely. That's that's great, and I sense that from you. Uh, you know, your positive vibe and and positive outlook, and it's so great to have you on the show. You're such a delight. Uh, thank you so much for um, um, you know sharing your your experiences and insight on how people can really uh, identify their passion and, and achieve their purpose and, and, and lead a meaningful life. So, um, folks, you, thank you. <laughs> of course, yeah, my pleasure. Um, and you know, feel free to uh, jump into um, Lisa's uh, website, check her out, and uh, if you do get a uh, want to get a hold of her, reference where um, you got her contact information from, and um, and uh, you know, I I hope that uh, things uh, I'm sending you positive vibes and and nothing but a lot of love. <laughs> oh, thank you so much. <laughs> Thanks, I appreciate it. All right. Take care. You too.